Jesus, I believe, should be the statement that we make every day of our lives. Not just on Sunday morning, not just when we're in church, not just when we have bad times and we are desperately seeking anything to get us out of the mess that we created, but really every day of our lives because it will bring stability, it will bring peace into our lives. Father, as we talk about this series that we're going to be going through, we know that one of the struggles that we all have is this issue of sin, this issue of brokenness that infects and affects our lives very deeply. And Father, we're just going to take a moment, each of us right now, to be able to go to you and ask for forgiveness for any of that brokenness, really all the brokenness, all the sin, all the mistakes that we've made, all the things that we wish we could have done better, all of the junk. Let's just go ahead and just take a moment and get it out of our lives. Father, we don't want it anymore. We're just going to turn it over to you and let you deal with it. Let's just do that right now. Father, forgive us of those things. Lord, and as we, as we talk about brokenness this morning and rebellion, God, we thank you that you did not allow us to just complete that. Lord, that you did not allow us to do it without any chance of redemption or any chance of being made right. Father, but you, you even in the midst of our rebellion, you came to us. You called us back to yourself. And Father, we thank you for that. God, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be in our lives, pushing us, encouraging us, doing whatever it takes to get us to end our rebellion, Lord, and to be right with you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. you have extremely ill-behaved children. No, 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 no. No, no, oh, yeah, good grief, what a suggestion. Playful. What are your main concerns? Concerns? Hmm. Do they go to bed when they're told? Well, no, 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 uh, uh, no. Do they get up when they're told? Uh, well, no, not exactly. Do they get dressed when they're told? Uh, well, now, that's a good question. Do they say please and thank you? In what context? That will do to be game on with. Your children need me. Oh, just, just let me go and uh, make sure everything's in order before I introduce you and... I shall you... introduce myself. Please, Mr. Brown, go back to your newspaper. Did you hear what I said? I just had an idea. Why don't we play here in the kitchen all night long? Excellent notion. The fact that we as people are very much like the kids in that movie. Uh, we sort of do what we want to do, and uh, that's just the way it is. 
And we grow up being that way, we learn that way, and we think that way is cool, but ultimately the Bible says that it is something that will actually hurt us and will damage us for a very long time if we're not careful. So let's be honest, that's what our series is, we've been working through, uh, this is our second week, we're in the middle of this series called Let's Be Honest. We're going to be honest about our brokenness, honest about our rebellion, honest about our sinfulness, and we're going to talk about that idea here this morning and how rebellion affects our lives as we try to live our lives here in this broken world. Well, um, our three-week series is, sorry, I went too fast. Our three-week series is coming face-to-face with our brokenness. As I talked about last week, I'm not recapping yet, but just as I mentioned last week, one of the struggles that we have is an inability for us to come face-to-face with our brokenness. We live in a world where I'm okay, you're okay, where Really, there are no bad people. Everyone just sort of became a little misguided along the way. There, there really are no, there's no evil people. Uh, there, we can't imagine why someone would want to hurt anyone else because we're all basically good inside. And yeah, we may have a little bit of roughness around the edges, but if we just watch Oprah four or five times a week or read a little Deepak Chopra, then our lives will be better and everyone will be just a-okay. As we could see from the economic downturn and the, in, and the rise in vandalism here just in San Jose, um, what happens when we people who were all created good and everyone's okay, when we lose our jobs and we become frustrated with government, we become frustrated with taxation, what do we do? We all get together, we hug each other, we cry, we sing kumbaya, right? We massage our inner child, right? No, that's not what happens, right? We graffiti, we damage, we destroy, we break in, we do lots of hurtful things. We get mad, we yell at each other, we honk our horns at each other. And so what happens is, is that the world, especially in the West, has been telling everyone a lie for, for several hundred years. And the lie is that we are basically good people. That all of us are good people. And if we just had one or two little minor adjustments to our lives, we'd all be super people. But the lie of that is, is that there is no brokenness in our lives, and we're going to talk down about this brokenness here today. So here's our strategy. Last week we talked about the reality of sin. <coughs> Excuse me, and we talked about the fact that sin is very much real and is very much at the depth and core of who we are as people. Now, here's the thing. The problem is that whenever I do a series on sin, a lot of people, especially if you're new to the church, you have no idea what sin means. You've heard sin because you've probably seen some guy on the TV say, you're a sinner, uh, to other people, or maybe you've been somewhere and someone has said that to you, and so we sort of assume it's some type of accusatory statement, um, or we think of sin like in the Hollywood sort of getting married 80 times and having affairs all along the way, but that really is not sin. I mean, they can be sin, but that's not really what sin means in the Bible. Let's talk about what sin means. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, when God created us, God, who is perfect, made people in his own image. Okay, so he made you in his image, and he made me in his image, and he made all of us in his image. But what happens is, is that when we rebel against God, and we are disobedient, and we do our own thing, then it damages that image. That image is damaged and destroyed. In fact, we are created in the image of God, which means we are able to create, we are able to love, we are able to do good. But when we choose to rebel against God, that rebellion against God broke the light broke the reflection broke the mirror in our lives and so we are no longer able to do good we are no longer able to do right we are no longer able to create beauty we are only able when pushed to do what is bad to do what is wrong to do what is negative in fact it's a lot easier for us to choose negative over positive it's a lot easier for us to choose what is bad than what is good again just look at the current economic downturn and you'll see the proof of that So sin is the broken condition of people that causes them to rebel against and to hate God and other people, okay? So when the Bible talks about sin, it talks about the fact that we as all people are created bad. We're created negative. We're created with a desire to hurt more than a desire to love. A desire and easiness, it's easier for us to damage 
than to build up. And so what happens is, is that that broken condition of people causes us to rebel against God. And it causes us to rebel against other people. It's easier for us to get divorced than to stay married, right? Um, I mean, I can go on and on and on with a whole long list that demonstrates over and over and over again that I'm not okay and you're not okay, that you're not full of love and I'm not full of love. But instead, our natural tendency of people is to hate. Our natural tendency of people is to be negative. Our natural tendency of people, according to the Bible, is to sin. And so we rebel against God, and we hate Him, and we hate others. Now, here's the thing. The most common word for sin, there's lots of different words in the Bible, as we talked about last week, but the most common word for sin is what? It's, it's a word that comes out of a military usage, right? And so in the ancient world, if people were, were, they were talking about and trying to describe what God's plan for our lives was, there was a word that meant if you shot a bow and arrow at a bullseye, at a target, and you hit anything other than dead center bullseye, then it was considered to be sin. And that word was taken over by the Bible to basically explain that any time we do anything outside the bullseye of God's plan for our lives, that that is in fact sin. So you can see that that right there would not be representative of sin, but anything else is representative of sin. So therefore, if you go out and you have an affair with someone, then by the way, yes, that would be considered in that area of sin. But you know what? If you don't read your Bible regularly, guess what that is too? That's sin, right? Why is that sin? And probably, I don't want to, we can't, ca see this is where we get as Christians, well as the church, this is where we get into problems. Because the church is too quick to say that adultery is wrong and sinful and reading your Bible, not reading your Bible, well we just, that's okay, right? But see that would be a lie too that the, the church and the culture has encouraged people to believe. And so what happens is, is that anything outside of God's will for our lives is what the Bible uses the word sin for. Not Hollywood necessarily, not um, whatever, you know, sort of a condemnatory thing that people would say to other people. But anything outside of God's will for your life. If God desires for you to be the CEO of a company that helps people and you don't accept that job, guess what that is? That's sin also, right? And so the thing is, is that God's plan for your life is perfection, not hurt, not pain, not divorce, not hate, not discrimination, not antagonism. All these things are the result of sinfulness that has come into our world, not ever God's plan. That is not what he desires for us. So today we're going to talk about the totality of sin. Um, we're going to be looking at how sin pervades all of our lives again. It pervades my life, and it pervades your life. It pervades everyone's life, everyone's life. And the reason is because sin is not doing what's wrong. If you keep keeping that idea in your mind, you will always fall on the wrong side of this discussion. You'll never get it. You have to understand that sin, when I say that everyone has sin, it's because every one of us disobeys God's perfect plan for our lives. For us to do what God calls us to do, we must take hold of what His plan is for our lives. Okay, so we're going to see what the Bible says. We're going to look at Psalm 51. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to. I'm going to do that right now. Psalm 51. And uh, it'll be up on the big screen as well for those of you that prefer that. Um, but Psalm 51 is what we're going to be looking at here um, this morning. Psalm 51. And we'll probably look at Psalm, the rest of Psalm 51 next week too because it's a really good passage that deals with our brokenness. Okay, here's what, here's what it says. Um, and this is David, by the way, reflecting on the brokenness and the rebellion that's in his life. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, right? Very clear. Let no one say the Bible says that we're, we were created good and that somewhere along the way Mrs. Smith in third grade messed us up, okay? Because that is a lie, all right? We're all created that way. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my... And by the way, this is David, right? David is who? A man after God's own heart, right? This is the guy that Jesus was going to be patterned after, okay? Special guy, good guy, except when he was a horrible sinner and did lots of bad things, both against God, meaning, you know, killing and murdering and adultery, but also what? Just simply not living for the Lord. And he's 
talks about that later. But he asked, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. In other words, God's plan for us is from the moment that we are born was to not rebel against God, to not be disobedient to God, to not, re- to, you know, basically tell God off, but for us to follow God's plan for our lives and to be, to, to be right. And you know what the funny thing about that word right is? Because God desires for our life to be right, to be good, to be perfect, to be correct. And we are the ones who rebel against that. All right, so the two ideas this morning, if you want to follow along in your handout that's in your bulletin, you're welcome to do that. Uh, pin in, your, in the pocket and seat in front of you if you need that. Our rebellion, two ideas this morning, our rebellion is against God. Our rebellion is against God. So when we talk about this issue of sin and this issue of brokenness that's in our lives, when we rebel, that our rebellion is against God. Now, here's the thing. A large part of sin is our rebellion against God's plan. So remember last week, I talked about the fact that sin um, actually encompasses several different ideas. That if you had to give one definition for sin, then that definition for sin would be just brokenness. I mean, in my mind, that's probably the best word to describe it. Because the Bible talks about us being made in the image of God. And the image of God is shattered when we come into the world. It's shattered because of what Adam and Eve did. It's shattered because we always choose to do what is wrong rather than to do what is right. But a large part of sin is also, if we look at sort of, there's like... You guys ever seen a blog? You know, if you go to a blog, they have those word clouds. Have you guys ever seen that? And, like, the more they blog about a certain issue, the word will be a little bit bigger in the cloud. No one knows. Widodo, you know this? The cloud, right? You you know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The cloud over there. And so what happens is is that if you look at this cloud, you look at the different ways the Bible uses the word cloud, right, Uh, in, in the cloud here, is that rebellion would be one of the biggest words. Rebellion would be one of the biggest words. Brokenness might be the biggest word used, but rebellion was, would be a big one. A large part of sin is our rebellion against God's plan. So what is rebellion? Rebellion is what? Right? No way. Not going to do it, right? And when we look at what God calls us to do in our lives, that the typical response of the average person is to do what? I don't care, God, what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do because what I want to do pleases me most of all. Which is partly a lie because we know that pleasure is, you know, ill-defined and ultimately following God and being at peace and having justice in our lives, for example, would actually bring more long-term pleasure. But what happens is, is as we've talked about, that we want to be the king of our own lives, right? It's great to be the king. And so we say, I want to be the king of my own life, and therefore, I don't care what God has to say, because I'm king. It's my life, and I'm going to do what pleases me. We talked about last week, since the beginning of time, that people have chosen to do what pleases them rather than what God would have them to do. And so a large part of sin is this, is the raised fist, is us just saying, you know what, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going to rebel against that. Now let's break this down a little bit, because it is not simply us doing, again, what is wrong when we rebel against God, okay? It is sometimes us just not doing what is right that is also rebellion against God. So let me give two examples as we break this down. First of all, let me just use the example of the affair, because we all know that an affair is wrong, right? I mean, we, if you had any type of raising any type of ethics class in high school or college, something along the way, someone probably clued you in that having an affair, you know, would be wrong, okay? And so what happens is, is that we are tempted to have an affair because we do what? We say, well, you know, I know it's wrong, but it feels really good. It feels good, and gosh darn it, I deserve it, right? Because my wife is not treating me the way that she should, or my husband is not treating me the way that he should, right? And, and by the way, we see this in the Bible where? I mean, everywhere, but let's just go back to Genesis, right? Because when Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, what did they do? Adam's like, hey, yeah, I ate the fruit, but it was her fault. She made me do it, right? And your husband, your wife, because they're not exactly what you want them to be at every single time, they're the one responsible for you having the affair. That's what it comes down to, right? But of course, we know that ultimately what, res- what the, the momentary desire for pleasure to be king of our own lives, that ultimately the result of that is what? Us rebelling against God. 
And even though we know that it's something that God does not want us to do, notice I'm not saying wrong here, I'm saying really, and to be more accurate, it is not what God wants us to do. We say, I don't care, God, what you want us to do, what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, I showed the Nanny McPhee clip a couple seconds ago, right, of the disobedient children. You know why I showed that clip? Because that's an awesome demonstration of the way that we are in our rebellion against God. How many of you have, have ever had smaller kids? Two, three, four, five, six years old? What are they constantly full of? Rebellion. Insurrection, right? They're like, I'm going to put my shoes on backwards if I want to, mama. Right? I'm going to wear my pants backwards because I want to. That's what they do. And we ourselves do the same thing to God. I'm going to have that affair if I want to. There's no difference. There's no difference. Well, the difference is, is the amount of damage it does to your life. But you know, there's another example too that I want to give because as we break down this idea of rebellion and this idea of insurrection against God, it also works the other way too because we say, God, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to tell other people about Jesus. Those things don't make me, those things don't please me. They don't fit my master plan for my life. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray because I'm already a Christian. I don't need to do that. And you know what, my friends? That is just as much what? Rebellion, isn't it? I don't need to eat my broccoli, mama, because I can eat chocolate later on. Right? That's right. If you had small kids, you know what? You know all about that, right? I don't need to eat what's good for me. I can just eat junk food all day long. But of course, we know that junk food just makes you puke after a while. But we have sometimes we have to go through it and learn. You know, the truth is, is that both are rebellion. Both are rebellion, both are insurrection. Why? Because they both do damage to us, and at the end of the day, we're the ones saying that, God, it is not you that is in control of our lives, but it is us that is in control. And by the way, we can let a child stuff themselves full of junk food all day long, and they'll puke, right? But a lot of times, they'll do the same thing, what, the next day? They'll do the same thing over and over again the next day, right? I mean, we... You know, I see it over and over again as a pastor, right? I see it over and over again because people come to church and they're all, oh, pastor, my life is so messed up. I shouldn't make fun of them, but you guys are first service, so I'll do it first service and I won't make fun of them second service. But they're crying and their life is so messed up, pastor. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? You just turn your life over to God. I mean, it's not as simple as I'm making it out to be because it's more complicated than that, but that's the gist of it, right? Get right with God. Get him back in your life. Get him on the corner, on, on, in your corner, doing, you know, making a difference in your life. Take these five, six steps. This will make a difference in your life, right? And then people are like, man, the next week they're like on fire. They're like excited, right? But then a month later, where are they? Well, they don't need church anymore. They don't need God anymore, right? Because, you know, they feel better now. They feel better now, but what do they go back to doing? Ho-hos and Twinkies regularly. That's what they go back to. And then a year later, you get them back. Actually, it's usually they don't go to the same church twice. They'll go to, you know, the other church down the street, right? And again, it's, oh, you don't understand, Pastor. My life is so. And I'm making fun of those people, and I shouldn't because I know it's hard. But the thing is, and I won't make fun of them in second service, but the truth of the matter is that's what, exactly what happens. And by the way, if you're here today, you do that too. I do that too. Maybe not so gregariously. But we do it because we... We do it because it is the nature of our lives to rebel against God and to not do what he wants us to do. And to just say, you know what, God, I want to be king. I want to do what's pleasurable to me. I don't want to do what you call me to do. And so it's rebellion. It's insurrection. Uh, the thing that we must remember, though, that's really important is that our rebellion is not neutral but against God. Now, this is absolutely critical, especially if you call yourself a believer here today if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, because it is very easy. We talked last week about some myths in our world, like the I'm okay, you're okay myth, like that we're all good people myth, and all these sorts of things. And, and the thing is, is that um, we have to remember that our rebellion is not a neutral rebellion, but against God. You know, we talk in our society today, unfortunately, about victimless crimes, right? And I don't want to get into politics or anything like that, or, you know, anything related to that. But 
The, the problem with that word is that, of course, uh, there is no such thing, as they say, as a victimless crime, right? I mean, you know, what difference does it make if I cheat on my spouse, right? Because she's an adult and I'm an adult and she'll grow up and get over it and, and I can just do what I want to, right? And no one's hurt. Or if she doesn't find out, then no one's hurt, right? But see, that also plays into this whole lie because our rebellion primarily is not against each other, but it is against God. See, to rebel against something, you have to be rebelling against something, right? There has to be something there. When someone does something wrong, they are not primarily rebelling against the California Penal Code. They are not, or the laws of the U.S. They're not rebelling against brotherhood of man. They're not rebelling against their neighbor. Ultimately, they're rebelling against God. Why? Because God is the one who says, hey, don't kill other people. That's my rule, okay? Yeah, California has that rule too. Good for them, but that's my rule. And so when we rebel, we're ultimately, we're rebelling against God. We're not rebelling against this neutral myth. Now, um, this neutral idea that becomes a myth. Now, let me say this again, because I think this is really important. Um, I think this is really important because we, you know, when we're tempted to do what is wrong, let's just take something easy like not reading our Bible, not praying, something like that. So we're like, you know what? I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. I don't need to do that stuff. And so we think, well, it may hurt me, but it doesn't hurt anybody else. But who does it hurt? Well, if that day, because I didn't really spend a moment of prayer with God, I'm an insensitive jerk to my wife. True story. Okay. Um, then who does that hurt? It hurts more than just me. It hurts my family, right? Maybe I take it out on a neighbor. Maybe I take it on my kids. But ultimately it hurts God because I've dissed him that day, Right? That's who it hurts, too. Because instead of spending a moment talking to him, I just said, yeah, whatever, God. I'm just going to diss you today. No big deal. That's just the way it is, man. And so we rebel against God. It is not a neutral rebellion, but it is us actually rebelling against God. You know, God's guidelines for life, they're not options. They're actually his perfect plan. And a lot of times the church presents the, God's guidelines as laws that we must obey with no benefit. Have you ever been to a church like that? I was raised in a church like that. And, and they would talk about, you know, this is what God tells you have to do, and you have to do it. And a lot of kids that I grew up with, they're like, well, why? I'm just going to do what I want to, right? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if I follow Virginia? I mean, I grew up in Virginia. Virginia state law, God's law, who cares? I'm just going to do what I want to. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. But yet the problem is, is that God's guidelines, his laws, his goals, his rules, whatever word you want to use, are not options. They're actually his perfect plan for our lives. You know what? If you cheat on your spouse, and I'm just using something simple here, you cheat on your spouse and get a divorce, you know what's going to happen? Is your life going to become better? Oh, I know there's a lie, you know, oh yeah, because there are better fish in the sea, you know, you're going you're gonna to find someone better looking, more compatible with you, but that's always baloney. That's baloney. That is just simply the lie of the grass is greener on the other side. And we should have learned that was a lie like in kindergarten, right? But we didn't. Why? And, and by the way, why don't we learn that in kindergarten? Well, we do, but we forget it over and over again because the brokenness that's in our lives is complete. It is total. You're not part good and part bad. You're all broken. I'm all broken. Me, me, me sign, go ahead, put the big flashy sign over my head, me, me, me too, all of us, we're all broken. Here's the question though, do you want anything less than perfect for your life? It's not a trick question, do you want anything less than perfect for your life? Well, you guys are not very smart or sharp this morning, what would be the answer to that? Do you want anything less than perfect for your life? No, thank you, right. We don't want anything less than perfect for our life, right? I don't. You don't. Well, let me ask you a different way. Do you want anything less than perfect for your children, moms? No, of course not, right? But yet we choose not only less than perfect, 
you know, there's the bullseye, right? Sin is what? Anything off the bullseye. We don't even hit the wall half the times with the decisions that we make. I mean, we're like a drunken soldier who fires up into the sky or up into the air with our lives. Because we miss so completely God's will for our lives. Listen, I don't want you... Well, I'll have to say it like this. I personally, for you, who, uh, who are a part of this church, I don't want you to disobey God because I want you to obey God. But I also want you to follow God because I know that that's His perfect plan for your life. And perfection is what I want for you. Does that make sense? Just like for my children. I want them to obey God because God calls them to obey Him. That's number one. But I also want them to obey God because I know that that is, will be a better life for them. It will be a better life. If my children, and Lord only knows what they'll do because I, you know, I'm not them, but if they don't have an affair, if they don't blow off God, whichever one, if they don't do those things or not do those things, they will have a better life because of it. And by the way, if you're older meaning you're more mature than me, you don't need to give up now because you've got plenty of time to turn the Titanic around and allow God to work in your life. But it requires you to stop rebelling and to be serious about what God can do in your life. Second idea this morning, real quickly, is this. Is that our rebellion requires justice. Now this is where, you know, again, I mentioned this last week. If you came to the message last week, and you don't come the next two weeks, you're going to leave there feeling, ooh, this is bad. I'm depressed, Pastor. Well, this is the same thing this week. We're not going to get to the good stuff till next week, okay? If you come this week and you don't come again, then you're going to be leaving feeling bad. But, you know, I can't do all of it in one, one sitting. Our rebellion requires justice. You guys would be totally asleep then. You know, here's what the Bible says. Let me read this again. David says, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned, right? And David's making a very important point here because, again, as I mentioned, we like to believe that our sin doesn't hurt anyone, that if we rebel, that that rebellion's not damaging anything, but it is, we are primarily, first and foremost, we are rebelling against God. Against you and you alone have I sinned, have I been broken, have I rebelled. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Our rebellion requires justice. See, our rebellion is not a noble enterprise. We are just wrong. Now this is, comes to the part of where we decide whether we are a believer in Jesus or whether we reject God and we don't want to know God and we don't care about God. Because the problem is rejecting or choosing God is going to depend upon a lot whether we can admit that we are broken, sinful people and that we don't want to be king of our lives anymore that we want God to be the king of our life, that we want God to be in control of our lives. Our rebellion is not a noble enterprise. We are just wrong. See, one of the problems here is, when we talk about myths is that in the last several centuries, there has been a romantic quality attached to rebellion. What do I mean by romantic? I don't mean love, right? That's the only one definition of romantic. What's the other definition of romantic? Anybody know? Shout it out. What do I say when I say there's been a romantic quality attached to rebellion? What? Well, they like, yeah, it's, it's a liking. It's a, it's, it makes it seem like it's awesome and special when it may not necessarily be. Okay? So, for example, you know, you guys know I did my doctorate over in England at Nottingham, right? And we have this guy called Robin Hood, right? Everybody know who Robin Hood is? Right? Stole from the rich and gave to the poor. There really is no, really wasn't any Robin Hood at, in Nottingham. That's another story for another time. But the thing is, we attach, well, actually, it's good because we attach this huge romantic quality to that where there really wasn't ever any truth to that. And if you really think about it, I mean, do you really want to take a gun uh, to someone who's rich around here and put it to their head and take their money and give it to people who are poor? Would that be right? No, but yet we let our kids watch Robin Hood. I mean, we have Robin Hood at home. Disney movie, you know what I mean? And there's a romantic quality about it that sort of, it makes the bad stuff seem not so bad and it makes the good much more bigger than it is and it causes us as, um, it causes us to like it, 
And so that's what happened. So in the last several centuries, is, and, and so, like, I picked Star Wars here, right? Because, and I know this is for the guys here, but, you know, we watched this movie, and everything's about the rebellion, right? You know, the Rebel Alliance, they're the good guys. The Freedom Fighters, the guerrillas, they're the good guys. And there's a romantic quality in the West, and I don't know about the East, that may be true too, where the, the rebellion is the good guys because the evil empire, right? And the evil empire has been lots of things in our world, right? Everything from the government to the Catholic Church to whatever. It's all been the evil empire. But at the end of the day, this is a flip from the way it's supposed to be, right? Because the good empire is who? God. He is a source of goodness and grace and mercy. And the real truth is that us rebellious people, we ain't romantic like, you know, Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or any of those guys, right? We're actually like the spoiled children in Nanny McPhee. Because God is the one who is good and God is the one who is right. God is the only source of good in our world. The only thing we bring to the table is our brokenness. We bring our rebellion. We bring our hurt. We bring our hate. That's what we bring to the table. And so we may feel that we are justified in our rebellion, but we are not. You know, to, when I was looking for the images for the message this week, uh, I went to a lot of punk sites. Don't ask me how I ended up at punk blogs. You know what I mean? Like the whole fight the man, you know, punk blogs, you know, punk rock, you know, that sort of thing. Maybe some of you don't. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so they're all like about fight, the, you know, stick it to the man, you know, the man is evil, you know, that sort of thing. I'm right. But you know what happens there? There's a justification that goes on because they say, I am right, the man is wrong. And we do that all the time. We rationalize and we justify and we say, I'm the one who's right. I can do what pleases me. It's my life. And if I want to rebel against God, I can rebel against God. And by the way, you can because you have the freedom to do that. God does not constrict your freedom. Well, the Bible says that if you really were to become like a murderous, rampaging, crazy person, that at some point civil authority will restrict your, will restrict your life. But for the most part, God does not restrict our lives. We have the freedom to choose. We can choose to stay up all night in the kitchen making a mess like those kids did. We can choose to stay up our whole lives and make a mess of them. Oh, yeah. You can screw up your life totally. You can. Absolutely. You have the freedom to do it. And you know what? You may get away your whole life doing it. You may get away. You may feel good about it. You, may, you, may, you probably won't feel good about it. But you may, you may have moments of pleasure and moments of feeling good about it. But the problem is, is that our rebellion is not a noble enterprise. We are actually in the wrong. And so what happens is when we're in the wrong, what happens? Somebody's got to met out justice, right? I mean, let's assume for a minute that we assume that Ramir is filthy rich, okay? And I decide that I'm going to steal from the rich and I'm going to give to the poor. So I'm going to take a gun and I'm going to put it to Ramir's head and I'm going to get money from him, right? And I'm going to go give it to all the poor people. But at the end of the day, that act is not actually going to be so romantic because what's going to happen? The state of California is going to come and do what? They're going to lock me up. That's right. There's going to be some justice there, hopefully. Now, we can. I know the, the legal system is not always 100%, but God is 100%. And so what happens is, is that at some point in time, there's an accountability. There's a judgment. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a believer and you don't, you're like, I don't care about this whole God thing. You know, I reject God. I'm going to be the king of my own life. I don't care what pastor says. You know what happens? You're lying to yourself. You know why you're lying to yourself? Because you want justice just like me. You know why you want justice? Because the guy that ran into your car and put a big scratch on it and then re and drove off, you want him to pay for that, don't you? Oh, yeah, you do. Well, you guess what? You can't have it both ways. You can't say justice for him and not justice for me. It's got to be justice for all or justice for none to be fair. And by the way, God is fair. If he is not fair, then he is nothing. If he is not good, he is nothing. And so the thing is, there has to be justice in our world. If there's not justice, then there's really no hope of anything else. You know, one of the best books ever written, uh, for those of you that are interested, this will put some of you to sleep, but uh, there's a guy, uh, Russian 
author named Dostoevsky who wrote a book called The Brothers Karamazov, and it's an awesome book, really long, about this big. But there's an atheist in there who basically says that I rejected God because I don't believe that justice can ever be done. And the theist, the Christian's answer to him was, then your life, even your own life, is a myth. It's irreality. Why? Because your whole desire for justice is a God-given desire. And so they argue about it back and forth. But the the Christian proves himself to be correct in this issue because the the atheist, the non-Christian, has no reason to ask for justice. If there's nothing greater than his own desire for pleasure in this world, then there is no justice. There is no justice. There is no right. There is no wrong. And so you cannot expect that of anyone else. And so, but here's the thing. The Bible says this. Let me go back to what David says here, because David says it even more, uh, a lot more better than me, uh, a lot more better than, than all this. So here's what he says. He says, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desired honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. In other words, you desired for me to do what is perfect and right and good and be wise about what I did from the moment I was born, but I rejected that, and I rebelled against you. Let me say it again. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. And if we think about it for a minute, can we admit, even if you're not a believer here today, can we admit that we have done things wrong and that it would be right for God to hold that in judgment against us? If you're a Christian here today, then you you can say yes to that. Since justice is deserved, we cannot call a truce. Now this is the problem. Because this is also is a great myth. Because I meet people, when I share the gospel with them, they say, well, I know I've done things wrong. And you know what? If there's this big man up in the sky there, when I die, I'm going to get there. And you don't understand because I'm going to shuck and jive him. And I'm going to be all about working the system. And the man's going to be okay with me. Right? I think, man, dude, that's not a very... Okay, whatever. I mean, how do you respond to that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you'd even be able to do that to a judge here in America, as broken as some of them are, much less God of the universe, right? But there's a lot of people who are convinced of that. There are a lot of people who think that when they get to heaven, that they can negotiate their way out of it. But the problem is that we can't call a truce because justice is deserved, right? Hey, let me ask you a question. You know, if you were in the midst of defending your home against a crime, let's say somebody broke in your home, was stealing your stuff, kidnapping your kids, and you came out, we won't bring weapons into it, but you come out and say, stop, okay? And they say, oh, dude, I'm sorry, let's call a truce. You don't call the cops, I'm just going to leave, right? Would you do that? Would you just call a truce? Or would you be a little bit more mad than that? I think most of us would be a little bit more mad than that. We wouldn't just call it even. Call it a day, right? We would want what? Justice. You laid a hand on my child, I want justice. Really what we mean is we want blood. And that blood is because we're broken, by the way, too. Because God says vengeance is his, not ours. But we want justice. And you know what? Since justice is deserved in our lives, we cannot call a truce. We can't say, oh, God, I know I screwed up really bad, but you know what? Let's just call it a truce. You, you're good. I'm good. Let's just walk away from this, and nobody gets hurt, and it's all good. Okay? Cool? Doesn't work. When we stand before the judge, we get a speeding ticket. We stand before the judge. I know so, we don't usually stand before the judge with a speeding ticket, but just to keep it simple. We stand before the judge. judge says you're going 105 in a 45-mile-an-hour zone. I know a kid in high school who did that, right? What did the judge say? The, ki- the kid said, oh, you know, let's just call it even, right? What did the judge say? No, no. You have to pay for what you did, right? You do. You have to pay for what you did. And so the thing is, is that it is a lie that we will be able to call a truth for God. But God, I want to be king of my own life. I want to do what I want to do. Let's just be even. You do what you do. I'll do what I do. Right? 
That's from a movie. My wife and I say that to all, all the time to our spouse. If we can't get along or can't agree, she'll be like, well, you do what you do, and I'll do what I do, and we'll call it even, right? <laughs> Actually, she really hates that movie, so she mocks. I love the movie. She mocks me by saying that to me in, in a nice way. And so, but the problem is we can't do that with God because it's not fair. You cannot desire God to have justice on other people for what they do to you without you also receiving justice as well. Nobody, my friends, Christian or non-Christian, nobody really wants to stand before God's justice, right? Because it is perfect and it is complete. But you know what the secret is? Let me give you a little secret. Little secret, and then we're going to end today. Oh, let me, I got a slide. Then we're going to do a secret, and then we're going to end today because we can't finish. But uh, this, uh, a German theologian said this 200 years ago. It's a really good statement. He wrote, again, a couple hundred years ago, he wrote, Sins are conceived of as a cumulative debt. This is talking about Psalm 51 here. Looking at the original language, he's talking about the words David is using here. And he's saying, Sins are conceived of as a cumulative debt. They become like a thick, dark cloud is the imagery the Bible uses here. Written down against the time of the payment by punishment. In other words, what happens is, is that it is, the Bible gives a sense here in Psalm 51 that David is acknowledging that, you know, there is a huge dark cloud of evilness over all of our lives. And all that evilness is being recorded. And that that evilness is just something that stands and hangs over our head because we rebel against God. Now, let me give you a little secret. The Bible says this. No amount of soap or lye can make you clean. We talked about that last week, right? Because we try to clean up our own lives. We try to say, oh, I'm going to wash, I'm going to read some Deepak. I'm going to wash, watch some Oprah. I'm going to be real cleaned up, real good. I'm going to look good, smell good. It's going to be awesome, right? You know? But here's the little secret. Remember a minute ago I said that either it's all or nothing. Either there is no justice in the universe, and if some guy comes to you tomorrow and, and kills your family, burns your house to the ground, there is no God, there is no justice, ha, 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 they got away with it. That's the way the world is. Or, there is a God, and there is justice for everything that happens. Of course, there are lots of people in our world, a percentage, who would say, oh, I'd rather choose the first one. But they do that as a lie, because they don't really want it. Because when it happens to them, when bad stuff happens to them, they want justice. And they demand justice. And they expect justice. But here's the lie. Here's the secret, actually. Secret. I said a minute ago that we all, if there is a God, that we will all stand. And that there will be a judgment. There will be a justice. Right? And we all know the image that we see in our culture, right? We see everyone standing before the big throne. And God seated on the throne. And there's a book there. Right? And all the things that we've ever done wrong is listed in that book. And then God judges us based upon what we've done right and what we've done wrong. Right? That's what popular culture says. But what does the Bible say? What's the secret in the Bible? The secret in the Bible is this. Is that if you trust in Jesus to remove your brokenness, then you don't stand in judgment. That's it. Why? Because you have a defense attorney, to use the word of the Bible in Romans, who will argue for God on your behalf and will say, listen, I know that this person is a sinner. I know that this person is broken, but that I, Jesus, died to take away their brokenness and their rebellion. And by the way, they are not in rebellion against you anymore. I promise you, God, they are not. And you know what? Is it that easy? Well, yeah, actually it kind of is that easy. But you know what that means? That means that you cannot be king of your own life anymore. There's the trade-off. If you want justice in this world, and you want to be on the right side of justice, and you want to live in peace and harmony, and you want to have a relationship with God and be friends with Him, and you want to know that God is going to work everything out to your own benefit, not only his benefit, but to your benefit, then it requires just one thing. And what's that one thing? No, not going to church, although that's very important. 
No, not giving money, although that can be important. No, not reading your Bible, although we know that if you don't do that, that can be sinful, right? But what? What's the one thing that God requires? For you to not be king of your life anymore and to allow him to be king. And you know what? Unfortunately, the majority of our world says, don't want to do it because I'd rather be king. Because why? It's good to be the king. And I like being king. And I do whatever I doggone want to. And if I want to rebel against God, if I want to stay up all night and mess up the kitchen, if I want to do what I want to do, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. And so we see from the movie clip that the children are what we are. This is the way we act. This is the way we behave. But the problem is, is that unlike children, sometimes we don't just stir up the pot. We don't just stay up all night. But we murder, we kill, we hate, we damage, we destroy, we antagonize, we attack. And God calls for us to leave that behind and allow him to be king of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. Let me just give you an opportunity as we pray. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, maybe you've been like, wow, pastor, you know, I've been king of my life for too long. I'm really screwing this thing up. I want God to be king of my life. Maybe you're here this morning with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, and you feel that way. If so, if you want to choose to know Jesus, if you want him to be your defense attorney, if you want to have a relationship with God for the first time, just lift up your hand. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Just lift up your hand. Okay, let me pray for you then with those with uplifted hands. You can just say this in your heart. You can just say this to God. You can just say, God, I love you, and I'm tired of rebelling against you. Listen, I know I live in a broken world, and I know that, that life is tough, but I don't want to do it anymore. God, I love you. Forgive me of my sins. I want Jesus to be my defense attorney. I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my redeemer. I want him to be the one that sets me right. Lord, I want justice. But I want justice also for me, Lord, and I want you to bring me and help me to be right with you. God, I commit my life to you. I don't want to be king of my life anymore. I want you to be king. And Lord, for all of us here today, not just those with uplifted hands, Lord, we pray that you would be king of our lives. Lord, that you would be at the center, you would be seated on the throne, that you would be the one to whom our life is committed to. And that, God, that when we commit to you, that your perfect plan starts to, to work out in our lives. Lord, we listen to your call. We hear your claims in our lives, and we obey. Father, I pray this morning that we would move away from brokenness. We would move away from rebellion. We would move closer in relationship with you and be more your friends. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name.